For as long as you've been alive, you've been told the church is judgmental and it shames people. As a result, the seeker pastor has overcompensated with jean jackets and saying the word awesome in every sermon multiple times. Trans is in the title, transformation, you can be here. Wiley asserts the notion over and over again so that you don't forget that this place is different than all the other churches that have ever existed. We're special. People like me. Their insistence that the church is a judgment-free safe space assures every heart there's no chance of authentic change in these four walls. It's a similar tactic used by perhaps the biggest hive of villainy and scum in modern society, Hollywood. Hollywood is the place where selling your body to get to the top is a matter of course. Socially transitioning kids for social media clout is the price for fame and divorces happen like the sun rises. Oh yeah, and substance abuse is just another day ending in why. That's why it seems odd that Hollywood would strangely grow a conscience and actually start holding people accountable and even eating their own like they have with Russell Brand. Many of you will know the British comedian and actor turned truth teller and that he is no longer considered one of their own, but rather a white ring extremist, a conspiracy theorist, a QAnon adjacent individual, because he dared use his brain to exit the echo chamber. If there's anything that stirs the ire of those people in that echo chamber, it's clips like this. All I'm querying is this, yes. is if you have All an right. economic system in which pharmaceutical companies benefit hugely from medical emergencies, where a military industrial okay. complex benefits from war, where energy companies benefit from energy crises, you are going to These generate right. states of perpetual crisis. Yes. Uh-oh, somebody has left the reservation. Before long, he'll be questioning the narrative of systemic racism and potentially even questioning whether or not a man can get pregnant. I just felt a kick. Well, in the aftermath of Brand's dramatic shift in views, he is now embroiled in a huge scandal that has been some 15 years in the making. Because now Brand has been accused by four women, three of sexual assault and one of rape. I won't go into the detail of these allegations due to the nature of some of them, but I will say that Brand was in the past known for his sexually hedonistic lifestyle, and it has been confirmed that one of the women, or the girls in this case, was 16. I might also add that in America, that is illegal, but not in England. I don't like it, you don't like it, but I don't like any of his premarital sexual exploits, and the left seems to absolutely adore them, whether these people are consenting adults or not. While he was willing to abide by the dictates of the left, they were fine with what he was doing. It's only when he jumped ship that they started oddly questioning it. It's only when Brand began critiquing the left that they blew the whistle on some of these big allegations. If you sense skepticism, you'd be correct, simply because I'm old enough to remember Brett Kavanaugh and before him Clarence Thomas, and how the left drummed up sexual assault allegations against these men for political purposes. That's why recent allegations of a similar nature against Tim Ballard have me very curious, and they probably do you as well. Tim Ballard, of course, is the former director of Operation Underground Railroad and the subject of the hit film Sound of Freedom starring Jim Caviezel. Last week, allegations surfaced, or I might say resurfaced about Tim, that he asked women working with OUR to pose as his wife on undercover missions and then allegedly pressured them into sharing a bed or a shower with him, justifying it as a tactic to deceive traffickers. Furthermore, it is reported that Ballard sent explicit photos of himself to at least one woman and asked another woman how far she was willing to go to save children. 
Now, this is all according to anonymous sources, of course, cited by the wonderful Vice. I'm half tempted to believe these allegations about Ballard because he resigned from his organization after these misconduct allegations were revealed. But there's another part of me that thinks that the left is responsible for one of the greatest attacks on objective morality the world has ever seen. And something tells me that when Rolling Stone puts this explosive expose on the subject behind a paywall, that they might care less about the truth and more about unsubstantiated allegations for the purposes of raking in some cash. Something tells me that when you spend hours of your day, as the legacy media did, writing up stories to bash Sound of Freedom as a QAnon-adjacent movie, that you're really not interested in the truth. You're just interested in destroying anyone that disagrees with you. Many conservative talking heads have covered the story already, and I can offer little more than them, except in this one area, in the area of Christianity and culture. That's where I can help. If anything, I would say, shame is a good thing. It can be abused, sure, but it also has a powerful purpose. It makes you feel bad about bad things, and the church used to wield the power of shame, and yes, maybe abused it in the past, but used it often for good purposes. Sociopaths and villains aren't capable of experiencing shame, and that's why it's important that we yield it justly. That's why shame can be so beneficial to a society if in the right hands. Many of you will think it's a good thing the church no longer has institutional power. Listen to Ricky Gervais. He said, we don't care if people worship God. Believe what you want. What we do care about are religious views intruding on the public square. Well, look around, guys. Is our world really better without the church in the public square? Besides, you and I both know that if the church doesn't wield the power of shame, somebody will. Secularism is now the king of culture, and here's what it has done. It has removed all sense of conscience away from the public square. It has made ethics a sense of feelings and shame, a tool of those with an agenda. Abuse of power is common to man. It happens in the church, and it happens in secular society. I get it. It's just that when power is abused in the church, it is done so in opposition to its beliefs. When the priest abuses a young boy, the priest had to sin against God, Holy Scripture, and everything that the church stands for. When the media slanders and lies about Tim Ballard, if they did, they are doing so in keeping with their social etiquette and their biggest goal in life. Sell, sell, sell to the highest bidder. Print the legend if it gets clicks and damn the repercussions. That is a truly troubling predicament when destroying the life of another person is the price you have to pay. The left has and will drum up false allegations if it is convenient for them, wielding shame as their weapon. Maybe the church needs to offer its help once again in the public square. But maybe I can offer maybe one last thing that the church teaches us. Martyrdom is essentially the act of being persecuted for standing for the truth. Our forebearers knew it well. In a world dedicated to attacking objective truth, you can expect anyone who refuses to go along with the program to face the wrath of man. But this is where godly people are needed. We need people who know there is a much greater wrath facing liars than the wrath of man. Those people stand flat-footed and resist tyranny because they fear God more than man. And we need more of that courage today. Hopefully, we'll find it in more of our top stories today on IndieThinker.
Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Did you know that you can support Indie Thinker and the great work that we do here by going to our Herbal Alchemy store? There's a link in the description of this podcast, just simply bit.ly forward slash Indie Thinker. Our bit.ly link will take you to our Herbal Alchemy store where you can buy great all natural products that are totally woke free. If you want to wipe the stink of Target off of your body, then you need some of these great all-natural soaps for men and women. And all of the great products that we have there, not only are all-natural, woke-free, but also go to support the great company Herbal Alchemy and their efforts to fight human trafficking around the world. And as I stated before, when you purchase anything on our Herbal Alchemy store, you will also be supporting what we do here at NT Thinker because some of the proceeds will go to us. So check out the link today where you can benefit yourself by buying some great products, but then also benefit this great podcast. If we've been helpful to you in any way, if you appreciate this show, then please think about helping our efforts by going to our Herbal Alchemy store. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that shame is being wielded by the left. Now, for the longest time, the reputation of the church has been that they misuse shame and that they condemn other people and that they're judgmental and that they're intolerant. Well, of course, we know that the truly intolerant people in society are those on the left, like our first story today when we look at David Pacman. You'll see that David, like many of his ilk, actually were extorting Christians and other people of conscience because they simply wanted shame all to themselves so that they could implement their form of shame onto the world. Shaming parents, you know, for standing in the way of kids who want to mutilate themselves or maybe parents standing in the way of, um, you know, the abortion industry, stockpiling bodies, you know, whatever the case may be. The left has been great at shaming people for all the wrong things. If there is a shameful person on the left, it is David Pacman, who by now should have been totally discredited, but virtue and ethics isn't something that the modern day left does real well. Because David Pacman, when the Covenant shooter that killed six people in Nashville, Tennessee, just this past summer, when, when that took place, David Pacman was quick to go to Twitter to make sure to use this opportunity to mock Christians, wherein he stated that basically, man, how could in the world could this have happened? Because these Christians pray and stuff, and praying keeps, you, uh, keeps, keeps these kind of things from happening. Well, of course, David Pacman doesn't know anything about God, therefore he doesn't know anything about prayer, and he doesn't know anything about human decency as a result of it, too. Now, David Pacman just recently had Dennis Prager on his show. I was surprised to see this team up, but I was glad for it because very often the left will never go upon the programs of people on the right, but it is the right who is willing to step off their uh, moral high horse, as it were, were, to actually engage people on the left. And here Dennis Prager is making good on his reputation to consistently do that over and over and over again, to really be willing to speak with people who have differences of opinion. So Dennis Prager was on this show. And of course, David Pacman was his usual condescending and revolting self because he took the opportunity after the conversation where Dennis was absolutely cordial and absolutely kind to him to, uh, to slander Dennis in this revolting way. Check it out. An institutional contract that was cre fake created by a government to put you down for that is disgusting. He is absolutely, he lies about half the stuff he says. He avoids answering your questions the same way you avoided answering what to pray to and what do you pray for. He's, he's an awful person. Mm, very good. I would expect nothing more. Nonetheless, I bring that to you just so that you can have a little bit of a 
uh, a reference for going into the conversation that Dennis Prager had with David Pacman. And in this conversation, you'll see that Pac-Man refuses to answer Dennis's questions on a regular basis and pretends that they are no deal, no big deal. Uh, here he is being asked multiple times and then refusing to answer those questions. And, and so uh, if you believe that, aren't you morally bound to cheat on his behalf? For example, if I were in Germany in 1932 during the elections that brought Hitler to power, I tell you, I would have cheated mm. on behalf uh, of any other party uh, than than Hitler's party. Yeah. Aren't you morally bound to cheat if you believe the man is a fascist? <laughs> You'd have to ask someone who believes that. I don't know. I mean, it's I think. Listen, we only have a half hour and we're five minutes yeah, so in. Look, well, let's talk I, about I think what I would say is the audience can judge. And, and people go, what are you, nuts? Who says men menstruate? Within two years, if you denied men menstruate, you were considered transphobic. Well, listen, I mean, I'm glad to have I don't I'm going to be honest. I don't know that this is the most interesting thing for us to talk about. But that being said. I have said very clearly there are some areas if we just say the world of trans issues, there are some areas where I feel quite confident. Like, for example, when it comes to bathrooms, I was just in Spain, beautiful country, terrific seafood. I recommend it to you, Dennis. The bathrooms, the, the bathrooms are just gender neutral. There is a sink there and a bunch of stalls and people cross in the sink to wash their hands and you use the stall you want. Everything's fine. The bathroom issue, I genuinely do not care about, even when they are organized the way they are in the United States. There you have it, as exhausting as it is. On multiple occasions, Dennis Prager actually using sound logic to speak to this individual in what is supposed to be a conversation, a dialogue between two people, and David Pacman refuses to answer the first time, just saying, well, we'll let, we'll let the audience decide. Well, Interestingly enough, you're the guy with the platform, so the audience doesn't have one. You have one. We want to hear what you have to say about it, but you, no such luck there, but we're probably, probably better for it anyway. And then the second time, of course, talking about transgenderism with, with the real reality check there. And, uh, and then talking about bathrooms and him talking about going into uh, bathrooms in Spain where apparently they're all just gender inclusive bath bathrooms, which is, of course, not true. Um, and saying we went to our individual stalls, we did our business and then went to the sink, washed our hands and we left. Nobody said anything. It wasn't a big deal. So the reason I bring all of this up is not just to show you the condescension of the left and where it really lies. It's not with those on their moral high horse on the right. It is those squarely on the left who not only don't have great arguments, but also use condescension when they don't. Um, needless to say, uh, the reason I bring this up is because if you are going to be a truth teller, if you're actually going to resist the advances of the left and the way in which they wish to constantly um, sideline truth, then you're going to have to know how to handle these kind of conversations where the people who are speaking are either so brainwashed that they don't know that they're lying or that they are clearly using dishonest tactics on purpose to try to avoid things. So the tactic that I hear the most often is, why do you care? You know, this happened in the 90s with homosexual marriage. What do you, why do you care about two consenting adults and what they do in the privacy of their own bedroom? And of course, we see every single Pride Month that the bedroom becomes parades walking down major cities in America with grown men whipping each other in the bare bottom so that the kiddies can enjoy it all. 
Um, so, so there's always these kind of misleading um, emotional arguments to try to push away uh, the conversation. And one of those is, why is it such a big deal? Why, why do you care what a transgender person does? Why do you care about this subject so much? It doesn't impact you. Well, actually, it does. So there's a couple of reasons why, whenever anybody says, why is it such a big deal? Why do you even talk about it? Why are you bringing this to light? Here's how you can respond, at least in terms of this trans issue, and then hopefully by extension other issues. The first thing that you should do is make sure to tell people that it is a big deal because you want it to be a big deal until we start paying attention. And then you say, why is it such a big deal? Of course, I had this conversation with somebody about uh, an episode of mine that, that got a lot of views. I'd encourage you to go check it out about the Crusades. And they said, why are you bringing up these facts about the Crusades? Of course, they couldn't refute the facts, so they just said, why are you bringing up these facts? In other words, accusing me of cherry picking. And the reason I'm bringing those facts up is because very often the conversation about the Crusades is used as a way to try to slander Christians, but both sides of the story isn't told here about the ways in which Muslims were uh, were uh, vile in the Crusades as well as Christians. We're left to believe that it was all just Christians' faults and they were the vile ones. And all of that to say this, that, that ultimately the whole why is this such a big deal is nothing more than an attempt to try to obscure and to try to push away and to not deal with the facts that have been that have been levied here. And the people who really want us to care are the ones who, like in the you know, the Crusades debate are the ones who are constantly talking about how bad Christians are, but never telling the other side of the story. So the reason we care is because you care so much about one side of the story, forcing us to tell the other side of the story. So it's a big deal because you spend every single Pride Month and have extended it to be now year-long celebrations, it seems, uh, of pride that you push down the face of everyone. You demand that we say your pronouns. You demand that we respect your bathroom usage. You demand that we cover our eyes and not acknowledge the fact that men should never be participating in women's sports. It is a big deal because you are demanding the highest level of insanity among a people that has probably ever existed in the history of the world. You're demanding that we go along with your farce, and we won't. We won't. You've overplayed your hand and we're not going to do it anymore. So it's a big deal because you want it to be a big deal. But let me also tell you why it's a big deal. It's a big deal because we care about kids. You know, it's one thing, and probably I'll be really honest, that I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even be talking about it on my show in the way that I, that I do. Um, if this was just adults having transgender surgeries, it wouldn't be as big a deal. Now, I am still totally against it. I think that doctors should be have malpractice suits filed against them whenever they do this experimental surgery, surgery on people who are suffering mentally with gender uh, body dysmorphia and, and gender dysphoria. I, I think that, that it, we should be against this for adults and for kids, but honestly, it probably wouldn't have stirred people like me up if you guys had just left kids alone. But because you demand that gender is a social construct on the one hand and demand that because this person uh, is trans that they have to chop off their physical body parts and that somehow that will help them fit into a social construct. Um, it, and, and that insanity and the total nonsense with it, uh, because you demand that and you demand it not just upon adults, but upon children, we care. We care about the well-being of kids, and society should care about the well-being of kids. We have laws in America that protect children from abuse, and we should. This is why we care.
We care about whenever a kid is abused. And so this conversation often happens within the context of parents too. Well, if the parent is condoning of this and affirming of their kid's gender dysphoria and the poison ideology of the LGBTQIA gender ideologues, uh, if the parents are consenting to it, then, then why do you care about it? Well, of course, again, we have laws on the books that protect children from their parents because, surprise, not all parents are great. And you need to check out my show Thursday for more of that. But the third thing is this, is that we care because we care about the society that we live in. We care because the society that we live in should be steeped in truth and not lies. A man is not a woman and a woman is not a man. A man can't get pregnant and a man can't have a menstrual cycle. A woman doesn't have a penis, sorry. Voltaire said this, if you can get people to believe absurdities, you can get them to commit atrocities. See, what we believe about truth in society actually matters. Our fundamental understanding of truth will govern who we are as a society. It governs our laws. There's one last thing to say about this. I've heard Christians say over and over and over again, ad nauseum, that you cannot legislate righteousness, that you cannot legislate someone to become a righteous person. So why are we so interested in laws and policies and, and politics? Why are we engaging in these kind of cultural conversations. Why do we care as Christians? What we need to be concerned about is the heart of people. Well, you cannot legislate righteousness, true enough. But I also think that's a sleight of hand because what you can legislate is you can legislate morality. And we should legislate morality. And laws are inherently moral, especially in the West, where our, many of our laws are built upon biblical ideas and biblical principles, the intrinsic value of the human, there really is no such thing as a law that is totally uh, devoid of, of a sense of morality. So the real question, as I talk about often on the show, is which morality are we going to choose? And we almost always choose Christian morality and then give ourselves credit for it, but don't turn back to the one who actually created the morality. But the point of all of that is just simply that the reason this matters is because society must be built upon truth. All of our laws are built upon truth and it impacts the way we view the world. Going back to that Voltaire quote is that the only way that you can truly create mass atrocities is by creating a society that no longer cares about the truth, where you talk about my truth and your truth rather than the truth. It is a recipe for disaster. And perhaps that's what certain grifters certain race grifters have really in mind. Because in our next story, I wanna show you something that I think is really important to pay attention to. Because it takes a special kind of wicked person to manipulate the sympathy of other people. And ultimately, I've talked on the show before how I believe that some of that sympathy is a residual after effect of the way Christianity has kind of infiltrated society and imposed itself upon the way in which our, our morals are created and the way in which we view other people. I think uh, certainly the civil rights movement is a Christian-infused uh, operation that showed us the way in which we should view other people, and that just happened as, as, uh, as early as the 60s. But certainly throughout our founding and even into the present, there are Christian ideas that have infused the way in which we think about other people and the way we think about the world, the way we think about ethics and values and all of that. It's an undeniable reality in the West. Whether you like that or not, or whether you agree or not, it is still true. 
Um, and as a result of that, there's still this sympathy that resides within people, this care, this kind of concern for the other, this desire not to kind of like cut in line, right? Um, because we feel like we, we don't want to treat our, our fellow human being unjustly. And so I, forgive me, but I can't help but believe that that comes from from Jesus and love your neighbor and, and all that kind of stuff. But needless to say, there are certain kind of special people in society today who recognize that and then want to exploit that underlying sense of morality and sympathy that we have in society today. Uh, because just recently, Ibram X. Kendi, the masterful and well-known anti-racist, is now being investigated for monetary transgressions. So he has overplayed his hand as the whole racial grift has overplayed its hands in 2020, just like we're seeing in the trans movement. When, when trans people come for kids, they're overplaying their hand. It's bad enough that you want us to pretend that you're a woman and say your pronouns, but now you're coming for kids and trying to mess with their shapeable minds. You're overplaying your hand and there will be repercussions for it, just as there is for Kindy. And so this article says, Kindy Center has raised tens of millions of dollars, including 10 million from Twitter founder Jack Dorsey and 140,000 from George Soros's Open Society Foundation. But the Free Beacon reported on Wednesday that the think tank has hardly produced any research, like at all. A previous anti-racism research center that Kindy ran at American University was similarly unproductive, the Free Beacon reported at the time. Current and former employees of Kindy's Boston University Center told the Boston Globe of a dysfunctional work environment that made it difficult to achieve the center's lofty goals. Multiple former staff members allege that a mismanagement of funds, high turnover rate, and general disorganization have plagued the center since its inception, reported the Free Press. So as you can tell, Kendi racked up millions of dollars, and it's hard to hate the man who is willing to prey upon the ignorance of foolish white people. But, uh, but there's, there's a payday someday, and it's something that we need to remember. It's payday someday, and eventually the people who have twisted and perverted the sympathies of well-meaning people will eventually have to reap the consequences of it, at least in a society that still has sanity today. So is the racial grift breaking down in our present? Yes. Is it going to be eradicated in this moment? No. It will come again, and it is dependent upon critical, independent thinkers, especially Christians who have a good conscience, who refuse to allow people to be bullied just simply because they want to be sympathetic to others. And then that being perceived as weakness and then lies being, being you know, shoved in upon us as, as a result of that. It takes a good people to resist these kind of lies and this kind of tyranny. So the racial grift will be over when we refuse to fall for these sympathy exploiting narratives. Now, famous black intellectual Booker T. Washington says something interesting, and perhaps he's not quoted all that much as a result of saying these kind of audacious things. But all the way back in the 19th century, in the late 19th century, he said this, there is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. He wrote, some of these people do not want Negroes to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. All the way back in the late 19th century, Booker T. Washington was recognizing that there are dishonest people who could rake in cash if they told the right story. And as a result of it, people would continue to hold on to their grievance, uh, stereotypes would be perpetuated, and maybe most importantly, 
the idea of race would be so overused that when real racism happens, it would be hard to tell the difference between what we are being lied to about all the time and these real instances because racism loses its impact when everything is racism, even if it's not. So it disenfranchises real instances of racism. And at the end of the day, if you really care about people, you will stand against this racial grift and make sure that you help your friends see past the sympathy extorting narratives of the left. And perhaps there's a book that maybe can help us do that as we jump into our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. I'll be the first to admit that the modern day evangelical church would make little sense to the early church. It's trite, it's concert style worship experiences would leave the disciples thirsty for more. It's lack of supernatural experience would make them wonder whether or not they were really in a Christian church and the banal lack of any real substance or life-changing exhortation to live a biblical life would, would make these disciples wipe the dust off their feet. But I might just be a little bit picky because I mean, in comparison to what Andy Stanley is doing at his church, most other churches seem like they are experiencing a religious awakening because for the low, low price of over $200 a ticket, you can attend the upcoming Unconditional Conference, which according to the event site is a two-day premiere event for parents of LGBTQ plus children and for ministry leaders looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ plus children in their churches. No matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. Middle space, huh? I think he means a very hot space below earth, not really in the middle, but it's a place where bad people go. That place every person hates until a guy like Hitler struts around and struts his stuff, and then we think, okay, it's a good thing there's a hell. In any event, let's give Stanley the benefit of the doubt. After all, this conference is only for parents of LGBTQ kids, right? Shouldn't we minister to them? What's wrong with that? And the conference hasn't even happened yet, so why are we prejudging? Isn't that a little bit intolerant? Well, let me answer that last question. In a world that is staging a full-on war against basic truth, it's important that you have your BS meter finely tuned so that you can become a discerning person. Some of you will still wish to go through the world unhindered by the thinking process, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. But the vast majority of Christians, when they do this, pretend that they're better than everybody else. They're better than the people who are actually willing to pay attention and who actually care. So that kind of smugness does get me a little bit motivated to talk about this. So wearing ignorance as a badge of honor as though it makes you more benevolent is ridiculous. If you want to chalk up what I'm about to do as plain judgmentalism rather than processing actual facts, I guess you're entitled to do that. For those who actually care about the truth and doing something about it, let's forge ahead. The reason many are alarmed by Stanley's conference is that he has an openly gay speaker coming to the conference, a guy married to another man. And he's speaking at the conference, and if the past is any indication of the future, we already know what we can expect from Stanley and from individuals like this speaker. Stanley, speaking at his church a while back, told them that gay people have more faith than you uh, as Bible-believing Christians. Check it out. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? 
I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? You heathens are desperate to have the same kind of game that the gay man has when he comes to church. Or perhaps what Andy means by faith is something vastly different than the average person. We all have faith in something, to be sure, and surely it takes a whole hell of a lot of faith to believe that God can bless your gay marriage. The faith that Andy may be talking about here may be faith, just not Christian faith. This kind of faith is way more akin to idolatry than biblical faith. It will come as no surprise then that Andy has also gone on record with the belief that Christians should unhitch their faith from the Old Testament and in his latest book that Christians should not be in it to win it. As though you can really care about another individual without winning the culture that they live in. Anyway, maybe you're still not convinced. So let's just simply look at the speaker Stanley has asked to come and grace his pulpit. After all, according to him, Gay people have a lot more faith, but faith in what? So Justin Lee is one of the keynote speakers and is the founder of the Gay Christian Network, which later became known as Q Christian Fellowship. I've covered them on the show in the past. You may remember them from that. But it's an ecumenical ministry dedicated to serving lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, and straight allies in the church. I know what you're thinking. They forgot non-binary, and I know it's an outrage. They should include every one of the 9,365 billion genders that there are out there, but they're just an only halfway tolerant bunch of bigots. Anyway, maybe this clip will clear things up for all of us and give us a chance to understand what to expect from Andy Stanley's conference. So here's a clip from Q Conversations, the ministry that was founded by Justin Lee. The not yet is the imaginal space of becoming. The not yet is, is in the space of a realized utopia. The not yet is the Christian message that we must embody in critical and creative ways to steward a narrative that calls us into being human with one another again. That is the kind of hope I want to invite us to embody. That is the kind of queerness that I hope we can practice. One that reimagines language and practice and narratives that can be midwifed and stewarded through the imaginal. That is hope to me. That is the kind of power I think we have as a collective of believers, of doubters, of Christians as those who are becoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, totally, I totally get where you're coming from with that. I mean, the imaginal midwifing spaces under, yes, yes. I have to say, in response, the alignment that I have with the imaginal is likened unto my eschatological sense of being in the now but not yet, which is rooted in the postulate of thinking Aboutedness, beyond the quasi-fabricated knowledge of knowing that everything you just said was total bull****. As George Orwell said, some ideas are so stupid it takes an educated person to believe them. And Dr. Robin does not disappoint here. The manner in which she can skip past first base and go all the way out into left field with this imaginal stuff is, I mean, it's truly stunning. Let's go back to the basic fact that the Bible here not read or any other Christian condemns homosexuality. And then we realize that the whole quote unquote ministry of Justin Lee is built upon a lie. If that's not disturbing enough, maybe this last piece will do it. The organization 
Start With Us is associated with Justin Lee. Justin Lee did a video for them about his gay marriage and being a Christian. And so Start With Us also had a pretty disturbing video where small children are present. Check it out. Starts with us. Take one. Curiosity. 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 Do you know what it means to be curious? Oh, curious, I know that word. Okay. Curious means when you want to know about everything in this world, like, like, hmm. for example, what does, how does a whale sleep? <laughs> I do think it makes you smarter. I think being curious is a good thing because you can learn new things by asking questions. You can learn from the person you're asking and they can learn from what they're saying. When I want to be someone's friend, I ask them a lot of questions. What their name is, how are they doing? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite place to go? And what's your favorite book? What's their favorite subject in school? Do you like dresses or pants or shirts? I feel like being curious is kind of like investigating. Being curious led me to something new that I never done before. You learn about new things in the world and, and you learn about what you can do and, and how you can do it. Hmm. If you're curious why you have to instruct your child who is already predisposed to being curious because they are kids and all, to be even more curious, you're not alone. I guess that would kind of be like the question, why do you need a whole conference dedicated to parents learning to love their LGBTQ kids. If you're doing your job as a pastor, then you've given them enough truth and equipped them with enough truth to help them really love their kids in the way that they need to love them. You wouldn't want your kids to become, quote, more curious, would you? You would just want your parents to know everything they can know about what the Bible says about human sexuality. What you wouldn't do if you really want to help your LGBTQ kid is you wouldn't call your gay neighbor to come help him become more curious. That, in a word, would be what we call grooming, or what it seems Andy Stanley's conference is really meant to do, to be a gay-affirming conference. There's just one big problem. It would in no way be a Christian conference. I think with all those pieces, we can finally piece together what's really going on. Andy Stanley has become a bootlicker, of radical Marxist. Now, let me try to taper that back a little bit because that may sound extreme. I don't think Andy Stanley is a Marxist. I don't think he is trying to implement Marxist revolution onto society. I don't think that all about Andy. I rather think Andy to potentially be a righteous man who is just incredibly misguided. I think he simply lacks the depth and lacks the astuteness to realize that the people who are coming into his conference are using him and using his church. In other words, he's a useful idiot of Marxist. And Marxists are famous for doing this, by the way. Engels, who is the counterpart to Karl's, Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto, said this, that wherever you see a revolutionary movement in the foreground is always a redefinition of love. In other words, if you're going to create the Marxist revolution, you have to destroy everything and then redefine it in the image of Marxism, redefine it in the image of communism. And one of those things is love. 
Well, isn't that interesting that these people, like those of Q Conversations, who have obviously been educated by Marxist professors in the university, are interested in redefining love in the church, the place where love should be adequately and accurately defined. After all, God is love. But we've seen this over and over again by Marxists and those in the LGBTQ community. They wanted to attach their movement to the civil rights movement early on so that they can gain marginalized status and so that they can use whatever credibility the civil rights movement had and they can use it for their own purposes. So they're willing to hijack the civil rights movement just like they want to hijack the church here so that they can redefine love by redefining the church. That's what these people want to do. They don't want to destroy the church. They want to tear the church down and create it in their own image. They want the influence of the church. They want the credibility of the church. They want to be able to do what only the church can do, what they could only dream of doing. What Jesus gives the church the power to do, which is to reach the soul and to reach the heart of an individual. See, these people can only try to propagandize culture. And so they want to try to hitch their wagon, not only to the civil rights movement, but also to the church. And here's why we must stand against it. First of all, the real condemners are not the people who have a problem with this conference and have a problem with what Andy Stanley does on a regular basis at his church, but Andy Stanley and people like him are the ones who are truly condemning people. And this conference condemns the people who are truly struggling with this lifestyle, the person who might be thinking about gender mutilation, the person who is fighting their homosexual urges. You know, I've ever since I started this podcast, I've probably ministered to more people in the couple of years that I've been doing this than I did in 20 years of traditional ministry. Because people reach out to me all the time and they say, thank you for having Calvin Robinson on. Thank you for having Christopher Yuan on and others. And thank you for talking about this subject because I've been married for 20 years and I still have every once in a while homosexual urges and, and you're giving me the courage to keep on fighting those things. See, those kind of people need a godly man to stand up and tell them that the fight is worth it and God can give you the strength and even give you the help to finally be delivered from this thing. For those who are in the middle of fighting that fight, there needs to be a pastor who brings the kind of encouragement that Andy Stanley doesn't seem either capable or willing to provide. Then the other and probably the most important thing, especially as it relates to this conference, is that it condemns the parents of LGBTQ kids. It doesn't help them. Because many of those parents tried to deliver spiritual truth and tried to speak to their kids in a way that would help them understand what the Bible says. And as a result of that, their kids probably want nothing to do with them. Andy Stanley's conference, I'm sure, is eventually going to make them feel even more condemned than they already do for standing up for what is right. See, those parents need a pastor who will come beside them and say, hey, you had two options. Both of them, you were going to lose your kid. You could lose your kid to the LGBTQ cult, or you could lose your kid because you spoke the truth to them because of this LGBTQ cult. In any case, you were going to lose them. But at least in one of these options, you gave them the antidote for what's going on with them. And one day, if by God's grace, they are converted to Christianity and they come back to you and they say they're sorry, they will thank you for telling them the truth. The worst thing that could possibly happen to those parents is their kid come to them and say, why didn't you tell me? I thought you believed in God. I thought you believed in the Bible. Why didn't you tell me?
Now, these parents are struggling with one of the most difficult moments in their life, and they need a pastor who will encourage them and say, if you told your child the truth, you were trying to help them. You were trying to make sure that you didn't confine your child to a plastic surgeon's knife and to a community of people who pretend to love them, but, but actually will just encourage them toward decisions that will leave them with lifelong pain that will leave them with, with bone density issues, with infertility, with acne, with receding hairlines. And again, I've had transgender people reach out to me on my show and even people that I've spoken to on the show who are transgender. And not a single one of them have ever told me they were thankful for their surgeries. In fact, one of those individuals, because they were taking cross-sex hormones, had a hair grow in their urethra and it almost killed them because of an infection in their body. That person also, by the way, was on the documentary, What is a Woman? And so the point is, is that a parent who helps their kid avoid that kind of life of pain and avoids resigning their child to this poisonous ideology is a parent who truly loves their kid and they should be commended for that. But Andy Stanley Conference would have them walk away condemned even more because they're supposed to affirm and or find some way not to tell their child the truth. You know, Andy Stanley, if he was doing his job as a pastor, should say, hey, your child didn't reject you. Your child rejected God. And there's nothing you can do about that. Stand in the truth, stand firm. And eventually, by God's grace, you'll win your child back. And so if you really care about real love, if you really care about standing for people, if you really care about not condemning people, you will find a way to marry love with the radical truth of God's word and unapologetically share it in a society of lies. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. If this was helpful to you, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. But most importantly, go with God.